Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that is at thecoachesnet. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. How you want to play does not matter if the principles do not come first. What are your thoughts? Yes, it's interesting. I know we were talking about it as well. And I think often we get so caught up in what is your coaching philosophy? Or perhaps I should rephrase that because coaching philosophy is different to playing philosophy. So you'll often hear people talk about their game style of their game model or model of play or their philosophy of how their teams want to play but then the danger with that can often become is that they're very structured and um, non-flexible like non-adaptive so very structured and strict on what their views are their belief about how the game for their team should be played but then the challenge with that becomes is well does that suit the needs of the players does how you want to play relate to what the game is posing you in terms of problems and even just the players that you're working with? You know, does it get the best out of the players? And I'll give an example, you know, about a game yesterday and I'm asking myself the same question where you've got coaches who are very strict on their vision and their playing philosophy of how they have to play and it doesn't change, irrespective of whoever they're playing. But the problem I see is that whenever I watch this team play, they're very predictable. Always they're going to be set up in a one-four-three-three. They don't change. Everything's very patterned. They work on certain patterns of play. And, you know, if we do this, we must always build this way or we always attack in this way. But as a result, they've become predictable. And then the problem lies, obviously, the game isn't patterned. The game isn't predictable. The game is unpredictable, dynamic, forever-changing, chaotic and problematic. You know, those words in itself 
represent the game. It's forever changing. So I was asking myself the question that, you know, at what point as a coach do you change? And it's not so much that you go from one extreme to the next where, you know, you've got a set of beliefs, but then, you know, you're strict on them and you live and die by that, right? You die by your sword. But then you go to the other extreme, which is that you've got um, a reactive philosophy and that you're always going to change to whatever the opposition are doing. But perhaps it could be that, and this is where you're, how I see your question phrased quite cleverly, is what about the principles? Because the principles don't change. So if we have a vision on how we see the game, so our principles of how we identify and exploit time, space and numbers, whether we're in attack or whether we're defending you know, or, or in transition, then it shouldn't matter what formation you play. It shouldn't matter um, what formation the opposition are playing because if there's principles that we teach and we have our principles, you know, you look at Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool, there's principles, you know, how they're breaking lines, how they're finding the free player, how they uh, will counter-press or how they'll press or how they'll hunt together. There's very strict principles that aren't always necessarily patterned and it's not prescriptive to a set, let's say, formation, but based on, um, you know, the players that come in and out of that shape and structure, that shape and structure can change because the principles will will influence how the players respond, whether they're going to go jump, whether they're not, whether they're going to play and break, play forward, and whether they're not, they're going to play around the block. So I think, if anything, that becomes harder to analyse as a coach because now you're almost, you know, so much emphasis talked about, about opposition analysis at the higher level, but then if, <clears throat> if the opposition are able to be unpredictable, play with surprise, change the formation, you know, how do you plan for that? I feel like there's certain coaches who say, I have a set philosophy, this is how my teams will play, this is how we'll always build out the back, this is how we'll always press, this is how we'll always do X, Y, Z. But, you know, to your question, you know, it doesn't matter because if the principles don't come first, if it's not based on principles as a as a strict model, it's actually quite easily breakable because you come up against players and coaches who can identify the, the weaknesses in that. So, I mean, that's how I would answer it. I, I find it quite fascinating. I'm, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I think we almost need to just summarise, rethink as a coach, like, what are we actually talking about when we say, like, we've got a set way of playing? And is that based on principles or is it based on restrictive beliefs? What's your, what's yeah. your thoughts, Yaz? I think there's, a, there's, a, there's so much to unpack in this, in this, in this theme. Uh, I think from the perspective of understanding that we can have a way that we want to play. Fundamentally, the game is based on one thing, outscoring your position. Right. Um, I think, obviously, that's, you know, in possession. Out of possession, you know, we're just trying to stop that from happening, essentially. So I think if we don't put the principles first, then we lose, as coaches, we then lose the opportunity, in my opinion, based on how I view it, is we lose the opportunity to coach the what-ifs. We lose the what-ifs because we're, we're, we're too focused on the what. Do you understand? 
right. as to what should be linked to the principles of you know trying to trying to outscore the opposition essentially. Um, so I think it's a really interesting one. I think it was one of them ones where I always think back, right? What's an example of a coach maybe more focused on how they want to play rather than the principles, and it just takes you back to Louis Van Gaal at Man United. So focused on just trying to maintain possession, but actually there was no, there was no sake for the possession. Does that make sense? There was no, there was, yes. there was no reason behind it. It was almost why are we keeping possession? Well, actually, if we go back to the fundamentals of the game and look at the principles and identify that actually we need to penetrate, it should be almost right. We're looking to maintain possession in order to penetrate. We're looking to dribble in order to penetrate. And if we add that phrase on the back end of it, every everything that we're trying to do in possession um, or on the flip side, out of possession, if we add the phrase um, to deny penetration on the back end of everything that we look at, then I think it completely changes the framework of what coaches have to then deliver. I agree with you because I think even that in itself, there's got to be, and we could go really deep on this, couldn't we? I mean, it, there's got to be a really clear definition, but also an outcome. Like, what's the intention? So, if it's stopping penetration, stopping the opponent's ability to progress with the ball forward, to go forward, that's really simple. And then, obviously, then it's like, what d- principles can we use to define what that looks like in game actions and in, in moments? And it, there was something I read recently where, I saw in a recent presentation, you know, like from the World Cup in possession, you've probably seen it as a statistic, uh, from the recent World Cup in Qatar, I think we're in constant transition every 30 seconds, um, which I thought was quite fascinating. And, and, you know, you think like if we're in a constant flux of transition and teams are getting it and winning it back and then securing the first pass or trying to, looking to counter-attack or not, or maybe maintain and build, then they've lost it and then they're getting countered on. Well, it's that constant, you know, you have it, we have it. And sometimes the possession might be prolonged for longer, but ultimately there's turnovers in a game. How are you managing these turnovers? Because, you know, we always try to design environments where everything's quite clean and manufactured. You know, teams are always organised, they're always in balance. But the game... You know, you're not always in a structure and in a shape. You're often dislodging people, right? And then exploiting their disorganisation. And as a result of that, you've got to have clear principles, like you're saying, so that the team knows, you know, in this moment, here's how we... So it's less about a a script or a set of to-dos. It's more about, like, how do you exploit space and time? You know, because every situation is different. It'll never quite be the same. So we need to we need to develop players and <clears throat> plans around that. I mean, it's I find fascinating the the game I'm watching yesterday. You know, one of the goals came from they were building up in their from a goal kick in their in their obviously defensive third, and we're by pressing to put a square ball across the box. We've intercepted, haven't quite scored. Don't know what happened. Could have shot, played it around, ended up being intercepted. <clears throat> and then they counterattacked within a few passes and literally scored. And they won the game as a result of that transition. 
you know, but we didn't have any clear principles of even the moment we lost the ball and we lost it that high up the field. How do we stop them from, to your point, penetrating us? How do we stop them from <laughs> um, exploiting the wide spaces and things like that? So it's it's an interesting one. And I guess it goes back to maybe a better question for you, Yaz, which is, you know, what do these guys even mean when they say they have their own philosophy? You know, is that the right thing we should be talking about? Um, you know, if the principles don't yeah. come first, like what principles should should exist for a coach to have a clearly defined idea of how they want their teams to play? Yeah, no, I think it's a good question, Joe. First and foremost, though, it's, it's one of them ones, isn't it? Well, if the principles don't come first, what's the philosophy based on? What's the, what's the, what's the point of it? Um, you know, in the nicest way possible. Like why are you actually do it? Why why have you got a, you know what people like to refer to as a game model? I think it's just one of them terms that annoys me if I'm being honest. But um, why have you even got one? What's it built on? What 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 are the considerations you put in to kind of building that? Because ultimately, if it's not based on the principles, then it's not based on a, it's 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 not a football game model. It's a game model for something else. Ultimately. Um, and, you know, there'll be probably many people that'll probably hear that and think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking nonsense. But show me otherwise is what I would say uh, to that. So I think for me, it's just recognising that we can have a way of playing. We can have um, rationale reasons for our way of playing. We can have a way of playing which suits our plays, a way of playing which um, we fundamentally have an interest and attraction to. These are all fine. But I think the moment that you choose the way of playing over the principles is where your model, if you like, becomes flawed. And the best of coaches, whether that be your Mourinho, your Pep, have got a way of playing, but fundamentally everything they do is built on the principles. So even if there's a quote-unquote exception to the rule in terms of how they want to play, Everything falls back on the principles, and you know, I always, always come back to this one with Pep. We, you know, Pep is synonymous for playing in a particular way, right? He's known for having a team that likes to play out from the back, known to have a team that likes to be patient in possession, move the ball around, loads of short passes, sometimes passes which aren't necessarily quote unquote progressive passes, but just passes that hopefully look to shift the opposition and move them out of positions. But ultimately, if the space is in behind and there's players making that run, he's, he's telling his players to do it, right? He's he's not waiting for it. He's, he's, he's There's an opportunity to penetrate, to get us closer to the opposition goal and eventually try and convert that into a finish. That's what he's telling his players to do, above above everything else. So I think there's, you know, it's almost, if, yeah, it's probably a good way of looking at it, having the rule and the exceptions to the rule, the exceptions to the rules where the principles trump over the, like, the way you want to play. That's probably how I'd look at it. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, when I was listening to that, I just thought of two things, really, because I'm trying to think of people who might be listening who might have a counter-argument, right? So there'll be those that talk about recruitment and how certain coaches will have a style, if you like, or a brand, an identity, and then they'll typically try and recruit players that fit the way they might want to play. Um, and then I'm just curious with that, because as we're talking about principles... You know, because it, it, 
often these coaches they get caught up and we all have like I've been guilty of it you get caught up in having this model or framework of what's the purest best way to play the game but then you've got to ask yourself the question of is it the most effective and efficient because the object of the game is score more goals than the opposition end of as you quite rightly outlined if the space is there to exploit you're going to play um, and Ultimately, I always ask that question of, like, again, I'm referring back to the game yesterday. Does how the coach believes the game should be played fit the ability level of the players he's working with? Is it even getting the best out of the players that he's got at his disposal? And then if, it, if we're going really on principles, then every player should be able to adaptively interact with that structure. Like they should be skillful in that structure, right? Irrespective of whatever, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Sorry, as you got your hand up. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that there's a couple of things to kind of highlight there, and I think it's you can have a style of play, but ultimately, whether you've got the players or not, you need to think about where the style is coming from, what's influenced that, where was yeah. that, where was that, um, if you like, the origins, where was that established, if you like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if if it's a you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get my under-10s who play 9v9 or 7v7 or whatever, or is it wherever they play, to play the way that I've observed, I don't know, Chelsea's first team playing. It's not going to happen. So it's also recognising what what does the game actually include? What does it involve? What is it, you know, what are the structures of their game and how does that then influence on it? What are the objective things that we can draw back upon? What are the subjective things? The objective things might be, well, actually, like I said, we're trying to penetrate we're trying to penetrate the opposition. How we go about doing it is up to us. Um, but ultimately, fitting that in with, yeah, I've got my, I might have a preference as a coach, but if I haven't got the players to do that, I think this is where a lot of... I think, I think... Let me take a step back. The first thing we need to do is separate us as a, as a general population of coaches from those who are working at the elite levels of the game where they've got un, unlimited funds to be able to within reason, pick and choose who they want to play in their teams in the right. way that they want them to play too. So I think that's it's, it's really important that we do that because really what that then means is to some extent, we now have to rely on our ability to coach our players to the way that we want to play rather than just having ready-made players. Um, now, my, 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 my concern and my question would be our coaches equipped well enough with the knowledge and the information they require to actually then implement the philosophy that they are potentially trying to implement. Maybe, maybe well, not. But then, like maybe I said, not. I think not by, maybe not. But this is the thing, right? So if we've got our, if you've got a specific way of playing, like I said, to, like I said earlier, you then you kind of relinquish the opportunities to coach the what if because you're so fixated on the what. And I'm not sure if enough coaches are even considering the what if to the point where actually the what if is actually just now reliant and it's the exception to the rule in terms of the principles. We're choosing the principles, but actually, no, they're so fixated on what way they want their team to play. They sometimes lose sight of the principles and then they, you know, never even consider it. And I just think about a coach who I went to observe recently, actually. Um, delivered a session on essentially overloads and the practice, I didn't agree with the practice, but that's, that's, that's another conversation. But more importantly, he was 
creating overloads. And I, my question to him was, well, why do you want, why do you want to create overloads? He goes, oh, overloads are going to help us penetrate. I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, it's going to help you to penetrate. Fine. But what happens now when your players are already in an opportunity to penetrate? Do you still want to, you still want the overload? And he said, yeah. Now, I couldn't, I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't understand why you would still want the overload if you're already in the opportunity to penetrate. Because essentially what I was observing was the players that he was coaching, they were getting in those opportunities. They were able to penetrate in the sense of the opportunity was there, but they were unsuccessful from more a technical breakdown. And actually, they're, they're, you know, the performance of that technical breakdown was the application marvel was just, it, it just wasn't there. Rather than addressing that, the coach would then just highlight the fact, no, we need more overloads. So it's almost like right now you now you're coach now you're coaching to the way you want to play rather than what the game is deciding that you need, if that makes sense. Yeah, so there's loads in that. I mean the first thing was um even when you were talking about the objectivity of the game and can we even coach it. So I take Man City as an example, you know, you'll hear a lot of coaches we always talk about that product that we can all Visibly latch onto and grip onto, which is how they'll play forward, how they'll break lines, or use the word penetrate. But coach will often forget that there's a high percentage of backward passing, so they'll only look at the forward passing. But actually, statistically, they'll have the highest amount of percentage of backward passes in order to invite that opportunity to play forward. So, again, if you don't know the detail behind it, how can you coach it? So if coaches are going away and going, I'm going to play like Man City, I'm going to play like Klopp or whatever, and then we're going to design these active, and then we're going to impose these coaching points on the players, again, it doesn't fit. It's got to be based on principles. Like what, and the principle is how you're creating space in order to exploit space in behind, which is a simple, right? And then the other bits that you spoke about, which I think are fascinating, you know, like the, the point around overloads. Do you need overloads to uh, be able to go forward and exploit space? No, not necessarily. And then I always look at coaches where they create an overload. So they've already got an overload. Let's say it's a 6v4, 5v3, whatever the numbers are within the practice. This was a point I learned years ago, which is, um, for example, I always hear coaches will say, oh, we're working on creating the overload. And I'd actually say, no, you're not. You're working on exploiting the overload because the overload already exists by the design of the activity. You've created an overload by giving the players uh, more numbers than the others. So the kids aren't... And I'm so glad that you said that. Do you know what I mean? Though. They're not creating I'm so it, are they? I'm so glad you said that, because this is what literally happened in the practice that I went to observe a couple of weeks ago. I said, you set up a practice where you've already got an overload in that area of the pitch, so tell me, what overload are you creating? Right. It's already been created. They're not having to create it, but even then, the overload is already existing and they're still not being able to exploit it. But you're still telling them now that you want to create an overload. Your overload's already there. So either they can't see the overload or they can't, they can't, they can't exploit the overload. Exactly. Now, whichever one it is, that's what you should be addressing. No, even probably... then, the overload wasn't actually... But even then, the overload wasn't actually making a difference in terms of whether there was a penetrative opportunity because it was already one there. 
I so, agree with you, mate. I, it's it's boggling, isn't it? Because to me, you're probably better off either going matched up or underloaded. So that way, the kids have to yeah. physically move and create an overload in a certain situation. Like, they have to think about the time in the run to support in order to create that overload. But otherwise, you're just exploiting the overload because the coach mm, has already I'm, given them the I, overload. So we've got to look at it, haven't we? Like, well, we've I got think... to look at it. And it goes back to your principal's point, doesn't it? Like, what are the 100%. principles we're trying to develop here? Because we need the players to be able to interact in the environment. And that's based on a principle. That comes first versus... And they don't change. You know, like years ago, the old FA would have your principles in possession, out of possession, wouldn't they? Some people like to jazz yeah. it up. We all do. You know, and not reinvent the wheel, but maybe some do. And we call it whatever. But ultimately, like, whatever your principles are, that's what's going to be the guiding framework for how the players are... Like, the game belongs to them. They've got to, they've got to make the decisions on the pitch, haven't they? And, and but well, that's it. But I think fundamentally, you know, whether you jazz it up, whether you don't jazz it up, I think the point every every single form of the principles, whether it's my interpretation, your interpretation, will agree on one thing: the game is about outscoring the opposition, and the only way we're going to do that is by moving the ball forward, right? So if that's not a priority, and if that everything that we're not doing in possession is is in is in preparation for that, because you know people say, yeah, but what about you know? If we're 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go, okay, if you want to play that game, 1-0 up, 10 minutes to go, guess what? You can maintain possession, you can hold on to the ball as much as you want in and around the back, but guess what? If the opposition starts to press you really high and there's a space in behind, you're only thinking about one thing, well, you should be anyway. That's just how I see it. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, whether that's me just being too fixated and bogged down with the principle itself. No, I think it's fair enough. And I think, I mean, this is where I've been to get people's views on it, really, because, you know, you've given an example there, which we've both discussed, and even, like, how it can relate to a practice design, putting on a session. What are we actually training for? Like, that's my question all the time. We've got to be training to create a better clarity of how we want to play. So it's got to be that that practice transfers the learning straight into so that the players have a very clear... I, I mean, I hate the guy. I'm not a huge fan of Ralph Ragnick, I, only because of name. I think he's, he's a bit of a horrible guy. But it's from what he says online, and even one of the conferences I went to, I can't disagree with what he says, because he said like the idea of the coaches you've got to get I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something along the lines of that idea has to be in the heart, brains, veins of the players. There has to be a clear picture in the mind of the player. Like he knows based on affecting your principles how we're going to play in each moment of the game. So I think that's what we should be training, you know, and I think that's completely right. Every Otherwise, you know, this guy who's doing a right, I'm going to work on creating overloads, creating exploiting overloads. Yeah, but what are the principles of that? What are the principles that even lead up to that moment in the game? You know, and that's where we should start first. Start with that end in mind. Think about what is the concept in the game that doesn't change, irrespective of the, the variables, and then work around that. We don't necessarily have to overthink it, you know. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get people's thoughts. And does this go away from what we're taught? You know, on the courses, because a lot of the courses now with teachers, you know, what's your playing philosophy? What's your game model? 
you know, I'm seeing this on the B license. What's your game model? What's your this? What's your that? Is this going away from that potentially? I think it's a difficult one, right? Because I think the challenge has always been, and I'm generalizing here, but I think the challenge has always been for just coach education is how much of this is then going to be taken back and actually applied in the environments that these coaches are working in. Um, how much of, you know, of this do they agree with? How much of it is it relevant to them? And I don't think this is just an English FA thing. I think this is just across the board. There's always going to be that challenge in terms of alert, aligning what coach education is delivering and what people are actually then going to appreciate and are willing to then accept as core things in their in their in their environments. And I think one of the biggest things I think for me in terms of this game model piece, I think it's it's positive from the perspective you're just starting to get coaches to think about how they want their teams to play. Um, but I do feel that when we're focusing too much on these quote-unquote playing philosophies, like game models, um, and this isn't even a coach education thing, I think it's just a general thing. I think it allows people the opportunity too easily to turn around and say, well, I want to play, I want my team to play this way for this reason. Oh, because they play grassroots football, they're here for fun, so I want them to play in a fun way. Yeah, but fun is still part of the principles. <laughs> you still got to win the game. Um, so, if your if your game model or your fun model, if you want to call it that, isn't based on the principles, in my opinion, is categorically incorrect. Um, and that might be controversial for me to say that, but I think the bottom line is the game's there for a reason. It's to be there to be won, and you can only win by penetrating, um, unless you're just playing against an opposition who penetrates their own goal for you, which sounds like a fun model to me. No, it's it's funny because on one of the uh, courses are quite like with US soccer. They always start with what are the contents of the game? What makes the game the game? And effectively, we get we talk about all the transition and all these moments and restart. But they're like, go simpler than that. And they get back to score more goals than the opposition. At some point, you have to be able to go forward because the goal is the game's directional. So the ball's in the, you know, the goal's in the opponent's half. And also offsides. Because otherwise, it'd just be similar to American football where you just slap the ball forward. You know, so offsides obviously imposes people's timing and movement and positioning. So, you know, it defines how we move, isn't it? So, yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, should we open up for questions, go get people's observations, thoughts? Most definitely. Most definitely, I think it's important, for, you know, especially in conversations like this where it can be a bit controversial to get some some different views, different opinions, just to make sure that we're not all, we're not all necessarily singing from the same hymn sheet order. You know, anyone with a fun model would be prepared for some questions. I'm actually excited, you know, while we're waiting for someone to pop up. There's a lot of different experiences in the room, whether people are working at academy or have worked in the academy game, people working in the senior game, pro level, people working in the women's game. So, you know, there's loads of experience as well as grassroots. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, who's willing to share their thoughts because, you know, this is what it's all about. And challenge as well, if you agree, disagree, you know, let us know what you think. I think that's a, I think that's a definite one, um, Gerard. 
anyone who disagrees, I mean, please share your fun models with us, share your game models with us, whatever you want to call them. Let us know what your thoughts are, whether you actually, you know, how much of a consideration around the principles you actually take into account when you are putting your, putting these models together at all. Absolutely. Yeah, we've got a coach. I think we've also got Matt as well. I think Matt wants to speak as well. Yes. Yeah. Good evening. Good evening. Evening, bro. How's it going? Not too bad, man. I'm always good. I'm always good. No, obviously, some really, some really interesting discussion this evening. Um, just thought I'd uh, just sort of throw my two pence in. I, look, listen, yes, you've known me for a long time, and Gerard, it's not the first time that you and I have spoken. I think it's look, the, the game of football is it's, it's kind of misleading because because we call it a game, but yet we play to win, and anything that involves competition. Um, I think what what we try to do when it comes to coaching and, and, and methodology is we try to we try to create a recipe that's uh, that is uh, that we can recreate because success is something that we want to try to recreate, which is where we get philosophies from. You know, we won like this, so therefore we're going to try to play like this. Um, so it's it's can sometimes be a little bit of a regurgitation. Um, but ultimately, we, we, you know, we want to play to win. And I think it comes down to personalities and mentalities more than it comes down to tactics and, and technical ability. Um, it's, it's do you want to win more than I want to win? And I think, Gerard, you, you said something uh, along the lines of, which I, I kind of assimilate with uh, the old Real Madrid way, which is, can I just score more goals than the opposition? Um, it's probably a bit of a youth mentality to take towards towards senior football, but... I mean, ultimately, if the results are you winning every week, then then are you going to get many complaints? Probably not. Um, but again, it's 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 all to do with how much can it be replicated on on a weekly basis or on a regular basis? Can you replicate that winning style? Is it a style? Is it a, a temperament? Is it a mentality? Is it an attitude? And whatever it is that you know, we we try to. We, we kind of want to. We want a formula for it. Can it be replicated? So that's where I think philosophy comes into it. But at the same time, <laughs> I think yes. Uh, you you said to me a while ago, you're not a big believer in philosophies, and I took that home with me for a little bit, and I kind of dwelled on it. I think initially I might have um, might have gone gone against you, and the more I sort of sort of started thinking about it, I kind of realised that even my own philosophy, if you want to call it that, is really just based around winning football matches. So. <coughs> Sorry. Yes, there are technical and and tactical sort of repetitions within the way that I want to try to do things, but that's all based on being penet- uh, being penetrative. It's all based on being able to take advantage of opposition weakness. So that means that I may actually change the foundations of my game based on the team that I'm playing against. Which means actually, the way that I train my teams regularly, whether it be day to day or if it's three days a week, whatever it is. That, that, what it actually means is the way that I train and prepare my teams is going to be <coughs> sort of uh, sort of a multi-skilled approach towards winning. Uh, and I would say probably making the game more intense and making the game faster with more transitions and more turnovers of possession. The more I can prepare my players for that, then the better it is. But what I don't want to do is turn them into drones and robots, which unfortunately is what we generally start to see now in the academy game. We see a lot of teams trying to do the exact same things. Look, listen, it, it works to a certain degree because, you, you know, you're producing specific types of player. But then when you come up against players that have, 
what I would call the X factor. They're just able to adapt because they can play with more intensity. They can play with more speed. They've got more thinking on their feet ability. And, you know, those kind of players are called a Wayne Rooney. The more you come up against those kinds of teams, teams that have got more Wayne Rooney's in their, in their team, it doesn't matter how good you are methodically. It doesn't matter how good you are tactically. You're going to lose because you've got players that can adapt, improvise and overcome. And I think ultimately, if you're going to take a football team into a match and you want to try to win, it's what team can adapt the best, what team, what team can improvise the best and who can overcome. And obviously the overcoming part is psychological um, and the improvisation, well, that's creative thinking. So, yeah, that's just my take on it. Go on, yes. Yeah, no, I just I think it's a, it's a great point. So I'm glad to, glad to hear that you've reflected and maybe, you know, bought into my view of, of things. But I think the, que- the question I want to throw out to everyone, really, and obviously we'll bring Matt in in a second and um, anyone else who wants to kind of jump in on this, but my belief is now, should our curriculum just focus on coaching the principles in different parts of the pitch? Um, providing opportunities for players to you know, learn and read scenarios that exist in their game as opposed to providing them with solutions and necessarily you know, direct them into particular outcomes other than those that align with the principles. You know, it's just a question that I've been playing around in my head for the last few months. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Apps, Matt, Gerald, or anyone else that's got any views on it. I, I well, I haven't really got uh, too many uh, views on that at the moment. But we, you know, you were talking about you know some of the principles of how you, how you play. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be in academy football and take a step so, six side um, and trying to get the fundamentals and, and the basics into players, and you know, seeing a way how how we should play or how the players that I've got could benefit them, but. The overall thing about it is what happens in both boxes. You know, you've got to defend one end. You've got to be compacted and do the right things and be patient. And then at the other end, you've got to be penetrative, like you've spoke about, and take the opportunities that happens. And then anything in between, you know, leading to, you know, scoring or um, not conceding is a bonus in the middle part. So, you know, the the principles of the game is what happens in both boxes and how you get to whether stopping a goal or whether, you know, scoring a goal is the main factor. So if you're looking to score, you've got to penetrate when you can. So you're talking about Man City, if you looked at the when they played Arsenal, you know, they all looked to play short. They got Haaland up, Haaland up top and all they did is knock it up to him. He's six foot four. He's built like a machine. And then they play off him and then they get the support in front and then they're, they're, there's your penetrate. So they beat the press you know, then your second line is then, can you go and support? Have you got support in front and in behind? You know, and like um, you said, Yaz, you're winning 1-0. If there's space to play in behind, you're playing behind. So you've got to also give the players an option of, like you said, Gerard, what if? If this happens and there's space in behind, can you still play? It's not the case, so a case of keeping the ball for the sake of keeping the ball. You've still got to be, you know, positive as in when you can, regardless to whether you're 1-0 up or 2-0 or up. Man, uh, just a quick, yeah, please, please, sorry, because I'm not going to be here for that long. Um, just a quick question. Uh, like, what we tend to say a lot 
is, uh, you know, I think we all tend to speak about foundations and principles of the game. And I just kind of wanted you to sort of peel back the layers and that simply because there's a lot of people in the audience that perhaps don't have an in-depth understanding as to what the foundations are, what the principles are, what's, what's the difference. And ultimately, is that not, uh, is that not influenced by your philosophy? Uh, so therefore, are they not different for everybody? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, I've got an idea of how I feel the game um, should be played. Is look forward, play forward. It, if you can, obviously, you can't always play forward. So sometimes you've got to go back. It's like the Cruyff. I've read his books. Some, you've got to go back to play forward, like you said earlier on. You know, it's not the case of you know playing in between the lines and short passes. It might be to play back and then to play over from you know, inverted from wingers or centre-forward running in behind. Like today's game, the Liverpool game, you know, if they could get in behind, they could get in behind. You know, so it's about, you know, adapting your players to certain scenarios that might happen in a game um, and, and try and guide them to, you know, to play the right pass as in when, if it's on to play, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it make, makes perfect sense. I mean, what you know, what I was saying with regards to, Philosophy. I think my philosophy of, of football is, is is solely based on winning and competing. And I think um, you know how that affects player recruitment and, and and sort of style of play from week to week. I think generally, yeah, you know, I think there are some. Uh, if I say, uh, I think there are some very similar fundamentals in the game for every coach, uh, for sure. Um, but I, I mean, for me personally, I prefer technical players. I prefer players that can manage the ball a little bit better, uh, players that can carry the ball. I feel like that gives me more options tactically uh, within the game. I think that gives us more ability to adapt uh, within the game uh, to, to the various different scenarios that actually do come about. So even if it is that, you know, we, we have a philosophy where we want to play short, you know, what you were just talking about with Arsenal, Arsenal want to play short. And if you've got some, some really uh, aggressive forward runners that really go to put pressure on, on those players, how you know how are they actually able to translate that short play into creative play? Um, do they actually have the brain power that goes with it? Is there is there an element of creative thinking that comes with it? And it's what you know what you do on a regular basis is what you become. So if you are practicing in training, uh, playing short, uh, sort of to no end, eventually you know you're kind of going to miss those passes where you can switch the ball, where you can play in behind, and then you perhaps stop being so creative if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, you, you, we're talking probably about the elite level, but when you're not at the elite level and you've got a certain um, group of players... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So you've got to, like you said earlier on, you've got to adapt or trying to, in my case, trying to improve them technically and tactically and find out, you know, uh, a bit about them to see what benefits them as a squad and how you can, and, uh, and how you can help them to become better and how the teams become better because, you know, I've seen it 
step, especially yesterday when I was watching a step five side in the West Midlands, I spots two sides and they're just, you know, from every goal kit, I'm not saying it's right or I'm not saying it's wrong, but the football was very poor, very, very poor. And you just, you look at, you know, there's, uh, you just, I just looked at it and think, you know, there's no help. There's, you know, what you're coaching, you, you know, what, what, what you're trying to play. There's like, there's no, there's no really structure or really style of a play. It's just like a, a, a bit of a mess. But mess can be good. But if you're watching it and you're paying, you know, ten, eleven quid to go and watch that, it's not that. But you know, you think, you know, what what you're doing as coaches and, and what you're doing as management. You know, does that suit your players? I don't think it does. But you know, like you said, it's ultimately to some people and coaches, it's about winning. We all want to win. But it's, it's how some coaches make how you want to win, but then you've got to get that the players in to play your style, and you can't always do that. So, you know, you've got to try and figure out a way of playing for that group of players. I completely agree. Sorry, yes, go ahead. My apologies. You know, I was just going to say just something touching on what Matt, Matt said earlier, and I think um, a kind of thought that came into my head is if we are trying to have a way of playing. Could that be putting limitations on our players in terms of looking at the game through our lens rather than giving them the creativity um, and promoting their explorative curiosity, if you like, around what it could look like for them? You know, I think we're very... If, you, know, you, you guys have mentioned the word recruitment a couple of times, and I think recruitment is really important in terms of the types of players you want to play. And you obviously, absolutely just what we're doing about bringing players in, the technical and whatnot. But fundamentally... You know, if we go back to what I mentioned earlier about you know just coaching the players to really understand the principles and the purpose of the game, could that then provide a you know a direct platform for them to understand and explore the different ways in which it can be done rather than us dictating that for them? I think as coaches we need to obviously provide them with some sort of framework, provide them with some sort of guidance around what it could look like from our perspectives. But I think we need to maybe do more as a as a as a population of coaches, if you like try and extract from them how they can potentially view it. You've kind of you've kind of come at it from both ends in the sense that, you know, I know you don't want to constrict players. Um and I also know you don't want to undercoach players. So where is the you know, I guess the question is, where is that fine balance? For me, okay. it's it's understanding the principles of what we're doing and why we're doing it and what is it that we're actually looking for as opposed to patterns of play and these kinds of things. I think patterns of play, look, listen, it it's fine when you're in and around the box. So I guess it's good to have certain certain things kind of nailed down almost as muscle memory. Um, but I think that does also take away the decision-making and the creative thinking from, from players, takes away their ability to actually analyse situations. So what is it that we're actually looking for? Are we looking for coaches on the pitch that are players or are we looking for players that need coaches? I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a point for both there because there's times when you have to come in and, you know, maybe, you know, stop the session or what might have happened there, you know, half-time talk or, you know, then there's also a degree of the other side, you know, um, give the player some ownership, you know. Um, so I think there's a, I think there's a lot that you, you know, where you have to step in and, and then there's things where you, you can do a lot of Q&A maybe or whatever it may be. But I think there's, you know, uh, there's a lot for both sides of that in my personal opinion. 
I completely agree. I, I think sometimes, yes, just to strip it back and make it really easy. I think I think sometimes what we have to really do to players is just go, right, this is what good looks like and this is what bad looks like. So if we can do more things that look like this, it doesn't have to be exactly this. But if it's if if we can do more things that look like this, playing forwards, facing forwards, uh, retaining possession, beating players in one v one situations in the final third, uh, you know, if you, I, I think the the more simple you make the game, the more beautiful it actually is. And like I said, for me, I'd rather a team of Wayne Rooney's where you've kind of got some 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 X factors uh, and and some uncoachable elements rather than have a team of robots. And that's just my that's just my preference. I think it's uh, you know it's the same of any every uh, you say there's not a right way or a wrong way of playing but you know in some coaches eyes there is and some coaches eyes there isn't you know but you know we all want an x factor player or x factor players you know but you know the fundamentals we're talking about all the principles you know you can flip it on the coin and say well that's fine having them but do they do enough out of possession you know to to go and win you the ball back so you know yeah, if, exactly. If you know, you've got Wayne Rooney, players well we're talking about Wayne so Rooney. Saying, yeah, you know, like you said, you've got Wayne Rooney, who is an X-Factor player, but he's got a heart of a lion. He'll go and get you the ball back if he loses it. You know what I mean? No, I, I 100% agree with it. My, 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 I think my mind just leads to the point of... Was he coached in some way, shape or form? to understand this is what the game is about and that's why he's developed that mindset and that I'm not saying that everything that he's done is coachable but I guess the question that yeah the question I'm really asking is how much of how much of it was down to him being given the framework of what the game's really about it's right you need to stop the ball from going in your goal and you need to make sure the ball goes in your position's goal as often as possible. Simple as that. And if that was the consistent message which obviously this would then been layered on on top of with you know all the different types of practices he might have been and all the different types of coaches he might have been exposed to, then is that what's helped him get to that point? Obviously, there's going to be some players out there in some way, shape or form that they're just going to make it. They're going to be good enough. And, you know, that's a whole different conversation that I've got loads of views on. But it's just a thought and a consideration for coaches. And I'll be spending too much time on giving them, quote-unquote, right and wrong ways to play. Gerald, I'm conscious your hands have been up for a little while. Talk to us, man. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm actually really loving how engaged the conversation is, and it's great. It's more important to hear everyone else's views than than mine. I mean, th- there's so many stuff that's been said. It just reminded me. I'm, I'm not going to go into ramble, but a little bit. I had some flashbacks. This making me smile. Um, Tony, I don't know if you ever remember him, Tommy Taylor. It's going back a long time. Most people probably won't remember, but. I remember doing this podcast with Tommy Taylor. He used to work with Reza. And this is a guy, if you don't know who he is, obviously he's from um, Essex area. He used to play for West Ham. He's a West Ham legend. And, you know, unbelievable defender back in the day. He's got to be in his 70s now. And he's coached at different levels, like grassroots, non-league, you know, pro game. Uh, he was at like your Peter Brewers. He's he's been a technical director, national team abroad. I remember him when he was at um, a club called uh, Kemi Kings, which is in Finland. It's a pro club in Finland, and that was through Raiser. And he was also in um, Norway as well, Flekkeroy, as the manager, as the head coach. 
the reason why I bring it up is I remember doing this podcast with him and uh, I'm just trying to bring back to what we started with about principles. And I was asking him certain questions like, you know, what's your philosophy? What's this? What's that? This is going back in 2014, okay, 2015-ish, maybe even sooner. And he was saying answers and he, he, he literally said, I'm a winning coach, like winning mentality. And I was, I was wanting more and he wasn't really giving me, and I was a young coach at the time, very naive. And I remember watching his teams play and I, I was being quite critical without really having enough behind me. And uh, I remember watching some of the teams play, you know, some of the ones I've, I've, I've listed. And in some, they were like very direct, like extremely direct, but they got results. On others, and then I was looking at those games and <clears throat> thinking, why aren't, why aren't they building from the back? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? At the time, I was on my A licence, and so you can imagine. I'm like, why aren't they? They've got some good players. They've got so-and-so and so-and-so. Why aren't they stepping into midfield like they didn't do that? But then with another team and another club he managed, honestly, it was like watching a Man City, the way they build the attack. And then another team in, in Norway... It was almost like they were set up more for counter-attacking. One thing that stands out, and I look back at it now, and he said these like really short bullet points. Typical old school guy, and I thought at the time he was—I'd never say he was a dinosaur, but I just thought very old school and what have you. No, he was incredibly simple. And actually, what I'm reflecting on now is um, that I want to share is like how important it is to have a very clear idea and that principles that guide because I always remember him saying principles and I never really knew what they meant back then and he said like winning mentality and for him when I asked him to dig deeper it was more I want players to be able to dominate their duel dominate the 1v1 or dominate the whatever they're in in and out overload underload I want them to be able to deal with that I want them to have those behaviors where if they lose the ball a bit like what you're talking about they go and win it back. They've got that hunt, that desire to, to not want to give the ball away cheaply. He used to measure in every team how many times they give the ball away at half-time as a percentage. I always remember that. It stuck with me. And he would know, like, hey, we're giving the ball away this amount of time. Like, the ball spent this amount of percentage not even in play, you know. And he would be very strict. And that came from his upbringing and around some of the people that he'll have had in his early career. Like, you yeah, yeah, because he'll have been around the London Mafia, you know, like your Don Howes, your your Ron Greenwoods, your all these guys, your your Allisons and what have you. And at West Ham, how they used to, he said to me like they used to do one touch only possession, or they'd be like direct with purpose in certain grids, and but they knew how to interact. And I just think it's interesting. One thing I want to close on is at the time. I remember thinking, like, what is the philosophy here? Why aren't they doing this? But he had a very clear, if you want to call it philosophy, he was based on principles. And he coached the players to exploit time and space, score more goals than the opposition, have a winning mentality when they lost the ball. What do they do? When they've got the ball, how do they play forward and hurt the opposition? Whether that was direct with purpose, whether that was building up, whether that was whatever... But he did that with different levels of ability in different countries. And I just think, like, wow, Tommy Taylor, he must have known what he was doing all those years ago. Cause it's just making me laugh. I just think, you know, simplicity, we perhaps should go back to that versus having this 
he never did any patterns. He wasn't a pattern guy. He always said that if you're doing patterns, the opposition can read it and train it and they know how to deal with you. So how can he be... Um, and I always asked him, like, how would you describe your teams? And he always just said, winning, winning, winning. I said, yeah, but how would you describe them? And he used this word, surprise. I want to be unpredictable. Sorry, Jared, I just think what a great... He said, how would you describe his teams? Jared. Oh, sorry. Uh, he said, how would you describe your teams? And he said, unpredictable. Play with surprise. And I'm like, wow, I love that. Unpredictable. Play with surprise. So he built his principles around that, not patterns and things like that. So just something to consider. Well, quick question for you then, Joe. And obviously, you, you know, something that you mentioned, and I think it's really, really pivotal here with, 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 that, with that story that you just shared. You focused on 1v1 duels, recognising that there's a bunch of 1v1s taking, taking place across the, across the whole game, right? If you was to coach a 1v1, what would be your key focus there? If I was the coach or him? Both. Well, I'll, I'll go back to him because I mentioned it, Tommy Taylor. He used to just do, funnily enough, very similar to, I know Paul McGuinness has pulled out these quadrants and it's just another tool to think about different ways to move, right? I know people talk about Bielsa. Bielsa said there's five ways to move and create space. I don't know if you've all seen that. Um, you can probably find it on YouTube, I'm sure. You'll have other coaches what say there's three. He used to just... He, 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 he used to um, do loads of little games and he would create then game within a game. So you think about like the Youth Awards and now, he would do an 11v11 or he would do just small-sided games, lots of 5v5s, which made me laugh. There's, there's always that criticism of oh, a five-a-side coach or old school. But he would do your little 6v6s, 8v8s. But he would create matchups within that game or the ones that would occur naturally because it was a real practice. It was game-like. It was area-specific, high-intensity, directional, had goals. There was meaning on it because there was always that element of competition. So for the players, there's that element of consequence. And as a result of that, it creates natural moments. There might be where Yaz is trying to exploit a space that Matt has left because Matt tried to go and support Tony on the attack. We've won the ball and now that space is getting exploited. And then I would have to deal with that duel with me and Yaz. And it would be things like that. And when I look back, I probably think I'm probably similar. Is like, how can you create challenges within the games to get players to recognise how to deal with these different moments because the game is so unpredictable. So your principles of, well, when do I close that down? When wouldn't I? Are they in good possession or are they in bad possession? Are we in a position where I can jump and press him now? If not, how do I delay? What's my delay principle? How do we remain compact? How do we remain disciplined? How do we protect the centre? How do we protect the wide spaces? How do we... So it's all like... But it's not... I think what's interesting is there's no... This would be my argument, Yaz, and again, challenge it if you think differently. I, I think we've got to be careful of scripts and rules, and there was a word that was used earlier, which I loved. I, I latched onto it, a recipe. I don't, I don't think there is a recipe book. I think, if anything, we've just got to create these environments where they're so variable that 
you can develop these duels within the game. So the players have to learn how to outplay their opponent in that moment. But then we've got to be skillful with it because if you give too much, if you give players too many problems to solve at once, it becomes overloading so they won't know. And there's also that balance of, as was pointed out before, like where is that line? Because you don't want too much grey, where it's like too much exploration actually impedes learning, too much direct instruction impedes learning as well. Because if there's explicit rules on things, which a lot of coaches do, the problem with that is that breaks down under pressure. So implicit learning has been found to be more positive under pressure that, cons- that involves like time and space. Well, obviously, the game involves time and space. You have to think very quickly to solve problems every second. So I think that's got to influence how we coach and what our coaching behaviours are and just how many problems we're designing for the players relating to the principle that we're going after. I think it's some great points there, Jaron. My question would be, is are we better off just coaching the principles? <laughs> you know, if you think about it, right, you go back to that 1v1 situation, what, what, what we ended up with, well, you've got to beat me and I've got to beat you. So how am I going to do that? Well, when I've got the ball, I've got to try and go forward. When you've got the ball, I've got to try and stop you. So, it just comes back to it, doesn't it? Because you're not going to then start talking about how you maintain possession in a 1v1. You're not going to, you know, start talking about how to move the ball backwards and all to move it forwards. No, actually, what do I need to do to get on behind you, get beyond you, get away from you? And then, you know, that then leads itself naturally into a 2v2, a 3v3, or whatever format of the game you end up working with, whether it's actual game format in your, in your match days or whether it's actually within your session. So I think, you know, where I've kind of ended up now is if I can keep the focus for the players on what the outcome is, and not in terms of what it looks like, what the actual, what a measure of success would be. A measure of success would be is have we achieved the outcome. The outcome is to penetrate the opposition. That's the sole fundamental outcome. I'm okay with you achieving it however you wish to. But together we can, we can unpack if there's a more efficient way without me clouding your judgment, without you solely clouding mine. I think we can collaboratively decide on right what's penetrative opportunity, what's not, and if you know, how do we turn that opportunity, which is not seen as a penetrative one, into one, and that's where the conversations take place. But I think I think fundamentally, it's going back to the principles, isn't it? All day, every day, and I was just thinking that individual tactics as well. Like, what's the individual tactic? How do, like you're going to outplay me? Are you outplaying me because of your speed? So then I'm going to have to think of a tactic, aren't I, to come to compensate your speed? Is it because you're skillful? Is it because you've got options? Like, you know, there's so many different factors, isn't there? Which comes back to then the principles, yeah. 100%. Matt, go for it, man. Then you've got the other flip of the side, because you're on about attacking. How are you going to teach someone to defend 1v1? What do you do then? You know, because they need... You need to be able to come in and be able to defend 1v1, whether it's from a wide area of defenders, what your body shape, etc. So that's what mm. I, that's the question I'd ask. Yeah, I mean, for me, to be honest with you, and this is something I, I encourage my players, your purpose as a defender, in my opinion, is not to win the ball. Your purpose is to stop your position from scoring. And it doesn't mean I have to win the ball. It doesn't mean I have to tackle you. It just means I have to delay you. And if I can delay you, my experience shows me that if you've been delayed well enough, both as an individual, then as a as a unit, and then potentially as a team, 
at some point you let it fumble in the possession anyway. Um, obviously, there is a, a time where you might step in and actually make a challenge to win the ball. But that, that comes as, as a result of how effectively you can delay the opposition, in my, in my opinion. That's just how I look at it. And, and I think, you know, it, 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 hasn't, it hasn't gone wrong for me so far. So I, I, I'd like to stick with it. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that, Gerard. Yeah, I think we're, we're, it's almost that we've, we've, a lot of the stuff that I've been teaching over here and most of the clubs I've been in, I've been really particular about defending because I know, I think it's a bit of a myth that people say like defending's a bit more scripted and then attacking is more creative. Well, actually defending has to be more creative because, you know, we keep saying like there's certain rules for defending and you should do this and do this and do this and hips and all you know, face this way and all that. But what happens if the, it goes back to your what if earlier? And if the opposition do X, well, then how do you respond then? So that's okay on the first phase, but then what happens on if they beat that initial press? So to your point that we don't want to necessarily win the ball, we want to stop them from scoring, does that then change the outlook? And that's where I'm, I would agree with that. I think we've got to probably develop more expert, creative defenders because as a result of that, we're going to obviously develop, it goes hand in hand, you're going to have to develop even better attackers, you know, who know how to exploit space, know how to be quite deceptive in their runs and how they probe and find in order to create and score. Because if the, oppos- if the defenders are really clever at man-marking or knowing when to go zone or when to go man-to-man, and ultimately they just deny your ability to, to score the goal... And even better if they can deny your ability to go forward, but you, you can't always dictate that. So if they are going forward, but at least you're preventing them from scoring, they're going to be in a better chance of keeping, you know, clean sheets or at least conceding less goals. And then, of course, then that means it puts more pressure on them and, and obviously on us to, to create and score. And that's where I would say, I think, you know, a lot of our coaching courses are focused on attacking. Coaches tend to feel more comfort coaching attacking from what I've seen, and we're doing an attacking session. And I'd love to see someone coach a defending session and actually, like, really how to be, like, nullify and be so disruptive and so, uh, I don't see it as negative positive. I'd be an absolute nuisance and just kill the game, you know, make it so difficult that you're taking away their ability to score. Because how cool is that? I think that's pretty creative. You know, so yeah. I, I think there's something something to add in there, Jared. Is that this for me leads us to coaching that becomes less directive around what it should look like and much more provocative around the types of questions that we're using. And I think we have to be really articulate, really clever with the questions that we use to really expose and help highlight for the players what some of the key considerations may be when defending or when attacking. What are the, what you know what are the finer details that they could pick up on or find you know we you know. If we go old school, we use the word cues and triggers. What are the cues and triggers that we can that we can kind of pick up on? Because there is going to be cues and triggers that we can pick up on. Things that do um, create more probability than other things around what's going to happen next as a result of it. And that's where essentially, you know, if you come back to it, that's where patterns of play come from. Actually, this this you know, if we're reading the game as patterns, well, there is certain patterns that exist. For instance, if we take crossing as an example. Certain crosses come in from certain areas for certain reasons. Not every single time, but if we can start to get the players to think more about the 
constructs of the game in terms of what the principles are, then we can start to think about, right, actually, if that's the principle and this is the construct of it in terms of a framework of what it might look like at any given moment in the game, then we can start to become better at potentially reading the game and understanding what might happen next as a result of that. And I think, I think there's so much in there in terms of the finer detail that exists and that we can highlight for the players, but it's whether or not as coaches we're doing enough to maybe highlight and even dwell, you know, dwell, dwell on to that ourselves a little bit more. Yeah, yes, I'd love to jump in here. It's, um, there's one thing I was just thinking of there, and it goes back to our point before about scripts and patterns, right? So often I'll hear coaches or see coaches defend, hey, if the ball goes here, then what happens is you go press here, look at, you're looking for that slow pass, or you're looking for that, right, now we can trap, that's the trigger to travel. Right, you would come in it, right? We'd all agree. But then the, the question then becomes is, but what if then they beat that press still or they beat that block? Then what? What if they don't do any of those things? And that's the point, isn't it? That people use these phrases, triggers, cues. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. But if they don't do that. So I just put a tweet out now, which was around disguise and surprise, hidden triggers. Like, what if it's hidden? How do you defend that? Because they're not giving you any information. Until very late, uh, uh, and I'll uh, give an uh, example. Uh, I just want to say something sure. real quick. Just real quick, is um, last game I coached, the guy did something that I've never worked on on the training ground. He never once done this in training. It was totally off the like. We had um, long story short, bad referee decision. Of course, I'm going to say that. Don't know what the referee's doing. He's done a drop ball. I blooming hate the drop balls, right? And our boys didn't know how to deal with it. Well, of course, we've never worked on it. That might have been the first time those kids have ever seen a drop kick before. The refs dropped the ball. I'm trying to shout at one of the boys who's near to just try and contest that and whatever. Anyway, he's not reacted. There's wind. The lad's volleyed it, and it's flown straight into the goal, right? How do you defend that? How do you defend the drop kick? How do you defend the wind? How do you defend... So anyway, we've obviously conceded a goal, right? And how often are you going to work on that in training? But listen to this bit. We've got a kickoff. I'm frustrated because we're winning by a lot of goals. We've now conceded the goal that, you know, it should have been a clean sheet. And the lad was one of our top players, Chavi, has just absolutely smashed the ball off the goal, off the kickoff. The lad's played forward to him and he's just gone boom and he's scored off the kickoff. So his strategy was I am going to try and score from the halfway. Who's expecting a shot from the halfway? And it was disguised. Most teams will pass back. And he's just gone bang. And it flew in top corner. And at that point, it was almost like, what's the point of a stupid goal before? You might as well cancel it out. And that was instinctive. And that's my point around defending and patterns and cues. Because ultimately, that guy did something that I didn't know what he was going to do. I was stood there in awe and I started clapping and cheering. I was like, what the fuck just happened? That's awesome. He just hit it from the halfway. So, like, how do you defend that? What's the trigger there? Because it's so late, it was so subtle. So, that's my point I wanted to share with everyone is like, you know, if we can get really clever, coach players to become deceptive, play with disguise, hidden intentions, hide your intentions, because then that's going to really make it difficult for defenders 
Because now what do defenders have to go up? What other things are they having to look for in order to know what to do? For me, for, for me, that would be a, a bit of football intelligence that he's obviously gained along the way from, you know, various watching probably, you know, maybe the Premiership or other leagues, or from yourself being creative. You know, he's seen the keeper off his line, and he's just gone. Look, you know, it's there. The opportunity's there, and he's taken an opportunity because, you know, you've got when you're defending, we're all about you know how we play and the principles. It's about opportunities. If there's an opportunity to defend and defend properly, you defend and win the ball. If you're, if there's an opportunity to play forward and, and you know penetrate or get an overload, then you take them opportunities. So he saw an opportunity and he's taken it and he's got success. So for me, that's creativity as a player. And obviously, he's got something about him as a character and personality that he's gone for it and it's gone for him and he's scored. You know, I'd take my hat off. I'd be bouncing off all the walls if I said that myself. No, good stuff, good stuff. Jules, you've had your hand for a little while, man. Talk to us. Yeah, good evening, uh, good evening everyone. Good evening, everyone. Uh, great spaces. Um, I've been listening to a while, but mine will be a few uh, questions uh, for the coaches here. Uh, I have an internship coming up um, um, this summer uh, at the Atlanta United Youth uh, in Georgia, the United States. Uh, but uh, I grew up uh, mostly in West Africa, so uh, growing up, you know, the style of football, uh, that we grew up was completely different uh, from a lot of European style. Uh, but also growing up watching um, French League, you know, Italian League, uh, in English League, I've seen, you know, a, a huge differences. So my question to the coaches here uh, um, is, can you guys talk about a little bit the difference on the youth uh, development uh, in between uh, those three uh, countries, uh, basically, and also the style of the game? And also, uh, I have a remark... Um, that in the England uh, national team or football, uh, usually I do not see a number 10. If, uh, you know, someone can explain also for English coach, what's the role of a number 10, a plate maker? Thank you. Yeah, probably one for you, man. You know, the experiences you've had in different countries, maybe share some insight on that from your perspective. I know you might not have full insight from the specific countries that Jules is referring to there, but maybe just give a different perspective on that. I guess not. <laughs> I think Gerard's lost his connection there for a second. But um, I think I think first and foremost, Jules, I think the, the important thing is that each of the countries are all going to have the influence in different ways. I think here in England, traditionally, there's been a lot of consideration, a lot of you know thought around the fact that English teams, English youth systems, even um, historically, were very direct. I think you've seen a massive change in that in terms of the last maybe ten, 10 or so years where a lot of the teams are very much playing kind of uh, almost possession-based style football. But then, you know, the question always comes is how well is that preparing all the players to go into senior football? Because they're not all going to play in teams that end up like that. So is there enough work being done across all these different environments to prepare players for a different way of playing? Um, so that would probably be my only kind of reservation around around that way of playing because I think you get too many of the same... Too many, you know, it's almost like a cookie cutter approach, if you like, and you know, not all of them are going to end up playing in that way. But so that's probably the first consideration in terms of obviously recognizing different countries, different you know, different cultures will have different ways in which they want, you know, which they envision the game to be played. But you know, my, my thoughts and my observations always go back to this: 
doesn't matter what country you're in, doesn't matter what league you're playing, it doesn't matter what level of the game you're playing in. Fundamentally, it comes back to the principles, right? Because you're still trying to score, you're still trying to stop goals from going in. I think if that remains your focus, this is where you can allow creativity to come into it. So, you know, I look at the game as you've got two frameworks. You've got objective framework, you've got subjective framework. The objective framework remains that we need to score goals. The objective framework remains that we need to stop the opposition from doing that. And that is, again, fundamentally the principles of the game. The subjective stuff is, right, how do I want it done? Or how are my players able to kind of facilitate that in happening? So I think depending on what level of the game you play, depending on what um, format of the game you're currently playing, obviously senior football is 11v11. Youth football may be 9v9, could be, it could be 7v7 or 5v5 if you, know, if you go way back down. I mean, some countries are starting to do 4v4s and 3v3s more predominantly. But fundamentally, it's what are my players able to understand about the framework of what the game's about and how do they see ways in which they can solve those problems? I think we can sometimes be guilty as well within the coaching community, especially in coach education, of saying, well, we need to help players solve problems. Um, my only challenge to that, my question would be, are we doing enough to highlight what the problems actually are and helping the players understand the problems they're facing rather than just letting them solve them? Because ultimately, if there's a problem there that they don't know they're facing, how can they begin to solve it is, is, is kind of my consideration around it. I don't know if that helps or answers your question in any way, but Feel free to fire back. Um, I don't know if Matt, if you've got anything you want to add there. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the, the roles of the number ten. I mean, basically, as like you said, you know, different countries have uh, you know different principles of how they deem to see that they want their number ten to play. Um, and he said about the English game, and you know, how they don't really play with a ten because of you know their attacking players. They played Madison, but he played wide left. Um, it, it, it all depends on what you see as your number 10. It could be a creative midfielder, a bit like Madison that doesn't really, really run into the, in, you know, running behind very often. Or you could say then you could go to a poor Scholes, you know, who runs into the box late or a Frank Lampard. Um, or you could do a Fernandez who, who links up the play a little bit like Madison, but can run in behind, or you can play. You can say about Kevin De Bruyne. It, it all depends on, on on you know how you define that you want a number ten to play. If that makes sense. Um, Just to add to that as well, Matt, I think it's really important to add that in different countries as well. The number ten is literally number ten, and that's what it is. A number ten is a shirt number rather than a role in the pitch. And I think that's really important to highlight. I know that traditionally. You know, if you go way back, you know, 20, 30 years, um, certainly before I got involved in the game, if you like, your number six, uh, so your number four was literally your centre-back. It wasn't a, uh, a holding midfielder as the majority, of the majority of the people see it now. Your number four was literally what the centre-back was. And I think it's really important to understand how, as time's gone on, the interpretation of different positions and what numbers are attached to those roles has certainly had an influence in the change in terms of how people view it, which is probably just, you know, in some countries it might be a bit more advanced and I don't want to call it advanced from a perspective as they're ahead of the game, but advanced from the perspective as they've, they've started to adapt um, to roles that are attached to numbers rather than numbers just being numbers on the back of a shirt. So just something no. to consider within that as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally agree what you said from, you know, maybe back in the 90s when a 10 was a 10. And like you said, a 4 is now like, almost like a, um, a DCM, as we call it, or a holding midfielder, you know. So I totally agree, yeah. You know, it's just they've just changed how the perspective of the numbers have changed, basically. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Tony, good evening, man. Hi, pal. It's been, a, it's been a quiet one for you today, and you're just enjoying enjoying all the other speakers involved in it. I love it. I thought if I, I thought if I keep my mouth shut for long enough, then somebody <laughs> else is going to have to speak. Most definitely. Talk to us. How are you? I'm good, man. I've but I've enjoyed listening uh, and not participating quite so much because uh, I didn't want to. I thought I might have upset you last week with my anti-podcast uh, rant. Um, but no, just this is for Jules, really. Um, I've got I've got a document which, if I've interpreted his question correctly, in terms of the role of the number ten, it's not a document that I put together. It's a really good coach, a friend of mine called Liam Bramley. And what I'll do is I'll share that document um, underneath the the Twitter space uh, heading uh, that that I know Gerard's already. Uh, Gerard's already put something on, um, and I'm sure that plenty of other people will find it useful, um, whether they operate with a, with a 10 or not. And and just while we're on the numbering system, just to get my, my weekly rant out of the way, um, Harry Kane's a nine and a half. You can't play with two number eights. Is a four and a six the same thing? It's absolute madness. <laughs> I love that. Love yeah, that. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. How many times have we heard that? A nine and a half. I like it. <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong with just saying he's a number nine. He's got additional capabilities that beyond the profile of a general number nine. Just say that. You know, he's a versatile number nine. But but nine and a half, whatever whatever it means. I think everyone, I think fundamentally, he's just looking at it and saying, right, where does he play on the pitch and what's his role? Forget the numbers. I think the numbers, you know, you've heard a lot of people that are in the game recently or have been in the game for a long time recently, you know, getting frustrated around the different terminologies and different things that have been thrown into the mix in terms of language that's been used across different environments. And I think, I think, I think there's a merit to it. I think there's definitely a point there. I think we just need to be careful that, you know, like some of them say, People are being confused by the terminology rather than just focusing on what the game's actually about. Yeah. Some of you are probably aware that my background was was uh, in the military. Um, and we used to have this great saying, bullshit baffles brains. Um, and football is becoming increasingly guilty of people trying to baffle other people for no good reason. Do you know what? I, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with you to an extent, Tom. I think the good reason is this, is there's not enough people that know what they're talking about. And that's why they have to baffle others. And I think that's the bottom line. I think keep the game simple. The game is simple. It's all about attacking and defending. In possession, out of possession. Draw a line there. We don't want to talk about anything else. It's just, am I, getting, am I working towards putting the ball in your goal or am I stopping you from doing it in mine? I think if we just strip it back to that, then everything becomes a whole lot simple. And I think it's just 
yes, we might want to be articulate. We might want to communicate language in a particular way to send certain messages, depending on the players that we're working with across different age groups. It might be more age-appropriate language for the younger players, but ultimately, no one's not going to understand it. Hey, Tony, Tony at five years old, all you've got to do is help your team get the ball in the opposition's net. And all you've got to do is stop your opposition from scoring in yours. Simple, great. Keep it moving. And I don't think I don't think it needs to change. I don't think there's any adaptations or any uh, amendments to that. It's just simple game. But no, some really good stuff tonight, guys. I don't know if anyone's got any other any other questions, anything else they want to add um, before we sign off. Awesome. It looks like everyone's everyone's had enough um, enough of me tonight, and there's no further questions. So on that note, guys, just a real quick heads up, massive thank you for everyone that's been involved tonight. All the guys that have been involved and you know come to the stages and had their had their two cents. Really appreciate it. Any questions that have come in? Um, great to see so many new faces in the conversation tonight. We are here pretty much every Sunday, so please do make sure you're following myself and Gerard. Um, Join us each week. If you've got a topic you want to hear discussed, if you've got a question that you want to have answered, let us know. Um, if you haven't managed to catch the whole conversation, you can catch all of them on the Coaches Network podcast on Wednesdays. They'll be released. Um, but also on Fridays, we've got um, content, guests from all over the, the sports coaching world um, and the football world. So please feel free to check in on those as well. Um, challenge yourselves and keep the game simple, guys. Until next time, guys, take care. Have a great evening. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.